Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to another Baseball America podcast, a special Memorial Day edition with John Manuel and Aaron Fitt. And Aaron, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to have to try to make up for it in person with, my, with the energy uh, for not having you here. Uh, we've had some memorable podcasts on Memorial Day's past. And we hope to make this one a memorable one, uh, whether you download it at iTunes or at BaseballAmerica.com. We thank you for joining us. And Aaron, 64-team field announced. Get fired up! It's NCAA, it's, it's NCAA, the road to Omaha, it's finally here. I'm very excited. It's very exciting, John. Uh, this is always one of the most exciting days of the year. And I'll tell you, I suspect the tone of this podcast uh, will be much more in line with the tone of last year's podcast than the, uh, the very memorable podcast we did two years ago <laughs> yeah. uh, on Memorial Day. I believe that J.J. Uh, Cooper actually is going to link to the 2009 podcast because he said he's, he's lamenting the fact that we won't be screaming and making loud noises at the committee this year. Uh, but the reason for that is this was basically a, a, the quick way for me to put this for the John Manuel historians out there. And I'm sure there are many of you, this is like a Dick Rockwell committee this year. Yeah. This was like the first two years of the 64 team field where, where you finish in your conference mattered and finishing second in a, solid conference was better and rewarded more than finishing eighth or ninth or 10th in a power conference. I mean, that's, that's the quick version. Is it not Aaron of what happened this this year? That's it. And, and it's such a striking change from two years ago uh, and three years ago, certainly where you had, especially in the big 12, you had the ninth, eighth and ninth place teams in the big 12 getting in, um, you know, Rhode Island, you know, and I look at back at Rhode Island in 2009, that team finished 57 in the RPI. Uh, St. John's right now is number 54. You know, St. John's probably has fewer quality wins than Rhode Island had that year. Um, and, uh, you know, and LSU probably has a better case now than than Oklahoma State and Baylor had in, in 09. And yet, you know, those teams got in, LSU did not. It's, it's really a, a, a striking reversal for this committee. It's a big reversal. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and Aaron, my sense is we just got off the conference call. I don't think Tim Weezer agreed with uh, St. John's getting in and LSU not being in. And my sense was he was on the losing side of that debate. And that happens. I mean, hey, you know, there's been plenty of times I've had to go to the top 25 chat, John, after yep. losing a debate and, and yep. defend something I didn't agree with. And, yeah, reading between the lines, I think you're probably right about that. I think, uh, uh, you know, and, and I'm going to throw this out there because – Two years ago, you know, three years ago, in, in Larry Templeton's last year as the com- committee chairman, we speculated that perhaps you know some politicking involved, you know, was involved with with, with, um, with some of the teams that that uh, 
you know, that he had connections to doing well. And, and, and then the year after that, the Big 12 does well, and then the Big 12 committee is on the chairman. St. John's gets in, and there is it their AD or their associate AD. They've got a, a representative on the committee. I mean, it just okay. has to be said. It just yeah, has to be it said. has to be said. No, you're right. That's a, that's a huge part of it. Uh, I, there's no other way to put it. That is the, the politics of the politics. And we've heard about a lot of backroom deals that have been made in the past. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you see and you hear and you can't talk about a report because you don't have it confirmed. But, uh, no, I agree with you. That had to be a factor. I, I, don't, I don't think it's unfair to speculate that that had to be a factor. I, I think that basically it speaks well of Tim Weezer uh, as a committee chairman that if he came out on the losing side, that he allowed the other side of the debate to be heard and to be heard enough that it won the day. I think that speaks well of Tim Weezer as a committee chairman. And in the history of the committee since 1999, since the, anything before the 64 team field is kind of irrelevant. But I thought Dick Rockwell was a great chairman. Uh, I didn't think so highly of Larry Templeton uh, right. at all. I, I, Tim Weezer has grown in my esteem just for the fact that their reasoning today with the 64 team field I thought was consistent. You could agree mm-hmm. with it or you could disagree with it, but they were consistent. Where you finish at a conference mattered. And RPI mattered less. I personally, Aaron, am on that side. I think that's a positive change for the future. But Tim Weezer was also very, very quick to say, don't call this a precedent. If you call this a precedent, you're reaching, he said in response to the UCLA. What do you think of that aspect? It's it's interesting. You know, it just – it reinforces the fact that – this is a year-by-year process, and different committees have different approaches, uh, you know. And, and certainly, this committee emphasizes the RPI a lot less. We have become accustomed to the RPI weighing very heavily in these debates, and conference standings not weighing heavily. Um, and uh, you know, as we've written about quite a bit this year, right. you know, kind of looking back at, at some of these recent fields, it didn't really matter if you made your conference tournament. And, and with this committee, it did matter. And, and in general, I do like that. I really do. And and you know that um that I'm a I'm a St. John's apologist in general. I love Coach <laughs> Blankmeyer. I love that coaching staff. I love Northern Baseball. I think that they get underrepresented a lot uh, because the RPI works against them. And, you know, it's not easy for St. John's you know, playing in New York City to put together a, an RPI in, in the low to mid-50s. Um, so I don't really have a major problem with them getting in. Uh, but all that said, I am surprised by it. Uh, I don't know if I would have put them in over LSU. Right. LSU, you know, they played a lot more good teams. They beat a lot more good teams, even though they also lost to a lot more good teams. Uh, it's it's tough. I mean, it's tough to, to make that case for St. John's over LSU, n- given the tools that are at the committee's disposal. I'll tell you what the case against LSU. LSU's case four is that they're in the SEC and they swept Fullerton, right? Largely. I mean, they also and they swept Wake Forest, which, you know, had a good RPI and frankly had a little bit better season, I think, than anyone thought they would have in the ACC. Yeah. And, and you know, LSU also at the end of the year, uh, they finished strong against the lousy teams and they won two out of three at Mississippi State, which they right. needed to. Now that see there, I would argue LSU should have gotten in over Mississippi State. I'm, I'm, that, that's a different discussion than LSU over St. John's for me. Yeah. Um, but if you're comparing them to St. John's, I would say, which is I think really if you're in the committee room. Which is more impressive, St. John's in February going to Georgia Tech and winning one out of three, or LSU in March playing at home against Cal State Fullerton and sweeping that series? That's a really tough call. It's not apples and apples. It's apples and oranges with a northern team going to Georgia Tech 
and playing early in the season and winning a game in that series for St. John's, that's immense. I think that those are a push, even though LSU swept a very good Cal State Fullerton team. I think those are a push. And if LSU had just won the series two out of three against Fullerton and St. John's goes to Georgia Tech and wins one out of three, I almost think that's more impressive for St. John's to not get swept. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I don't agree with you. Okay. I think that's going. I think that's going overboard. I mean, okay. I think you, sweeping, you know, uh, one of the you know a, to- a top ten team, a team that's been a top ten team most of the year. It's still, I don't care what the circumstances are. It's still more impressive than than winning one out of three. Okay, I think it's. I I think when you take it into, and I, I respect that. I just think the northern team going on the road to win a to win a game against a top twenty five team and not get swept in a weekend series. Uh, I think that's a huge deal. I, and obviously, again, that comes from the first couple of years on this beat, just talking to Dick Rockwell and talking to – you've talked with all the northern coaches and about how tough that is. I, I do respect the fact that if you're going to say, hey, look, if you're going to schedule the games, win the games. You know, I respect that too. I, yeah. I, I thought it was very pointed that uh, Tim Weezer specifically said they weren't too impressed by the fact that six of LSU's conference wins were against Tennessee and Kentucky. And right. I, thought, I thought that was a worthwhile point. I think LSU deserved to get into the field. I, I think for me, it would have come at the expense of either Dallas Baptist or Mississippi State. At Dallas Baptist, he pointed to the flaw in my mind in Dallas Baptist's case, which is, yeah, they have those good wins, but that's when they tilt the board in their favor and start their number one in midweek games. It sounded like that was that argument had been made against uh, the Patriots repeatedly. Yeah, that that's right, and and uh, and it's kind of surprising, you know, that that he would mention that, right? Um, even though you know, and and they and they're still in. I mean, uh, that's a good point. I, you know, I had Dallas Baptist in as my last team. I think St. John's wasn't even. Oh, we lost you there for a second, Aaron. I, I didn't think they had a chance. I, I was very surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, I, Dallas Baptist, I had in as my last team into the field, John, and and. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, so I'm not surprised that they're in, but St. John's is, is a surprise. Um, you know, I just I just think that uh, when it comes down to it, um, I, like I said, I don't have any major problems with this. I lost my train of thought. I'm kind of rambling. Well, here, we're talking about, we're talking think, about Dallas think, Baptist, Dallas Baptist versus St. John's, basically, or Dallas yeah, Baptist yeah. versus LSU, I guess. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's 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 not egregious either way for me, um, but uh, I do like. I do like LSU's case. Uh, I don't love it, uh, and and I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to feel indignant about a team that that went 13 and 17 in its league not getting in. I don't think that that team has a right to get in. I do I think agree. it's striking, and I do think it's striking that that Weiser specifically um, emphasized weekend series, which I hadn't heard them do before. I, I uh, loved, I loved that he heard that. It's almost when he said that, I almost thought, man, Aaron, you made a difference on the committee because who else keeps up with that but us? Yeah, and he talked about that's a big reason Arkansas wasn't a host is they only won four of their uh, ten conference series. Um, you know that's uh, that's something that matters to us, and we thought it didn't matter to the committee. And uh, much to my surprise and, and frankly pleasure, it, it does. I mean, uh, you know, should Arkansas have hosted over to UCLA? Maybe, uh, but you know, again, I'm not going to get indignant over that one when you only won four of, of your ten conference series. Um, right. I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, there's no way to get indignant over that. And here's another one that was a bombshell in that discussion. I thought it was a bombshell anyway, Aaron. When Tim Weezer, the committee chairman, <clears throat> says that they did not – they don't see – the committee does not see the financial packages for the regional host bids. 
Because I got to tell you, the biggest problem I have with UCLA hosting is that Jackie Robinson Stadium is not up to snuff to host. Right. I mean, that's that's the problem. On the field, you win the Pac-10, you should host. I think that almost 100% of the time, it would have to be an extreme example of a team that was just awful non-conference. You don't have to go to extremes for that to happen where I would not agree with it. Uh, but UCLA winning the Pac-10 and playing as strongly as they did down the stretch, I thought it deserved to be a regional host. But Jackie Robinson Stadium is not up to regional snuff. Okay. Isn't it a 1,200-seat facility? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but to me, but then he said that, that the committee does not see the financial bids when they decide on the hosts. And then in a follow-up question, he said that had not that that had only been the case. He didn't know how long, maybe five years. He said, and I believe it was Dennis Pope who, in the background, said, "Oh, about three or four years." So, I mean, <laughs> that is a recent development that the NCAA has never made public. I guess they know whenever asked. So thank goodness that Steve Pivovar asked, you know, the first question about Creighton, and then we were able to follow up. Uh, Aaron, that's a that's a bombshell to me, and that is a big move in the right direction, I believe, for the committee, because they should make these decisions based on merit if you're going to really try to have the best championship you can have. Do you do you agree with that, or do you think Arkansas should have hosted because the bomb because Bomb Stadium is? Really, in my mind, the best show place in college baseball and probably the best atmosphere in college baseball is Bomb Stadium with 10,000 people. You know, it's interesting to me because they, they always talk every year. You know, when we get to the Omaha for the State of Baseball press conference that they have with all the uh, the power brokers up there on the dais, um, <laughs> they're going to talk about how much money this tournament makes. You know, and they talk about it at the ABCA convention, the Division One baseball meeting, how profitable this tournament is. And... Uh, you know, I think it speaks well. I think it speaks very well of this committee that clearly the NCAA values making money. You know, I think we all know that. Yeah. Uh, and yet it constructs this field with UCLA as a host over Arkansas with St. John's in the field over LSU, which I'm pretty sure it would travel a little bit better than the Johnnies. Yeah. Um, it tells me that this committee has integrity, you know, that they're that they're they're trying to put together the best field, uh, you know, the for, for competitive purposes and, and that, uh, you know, again, I mean, uh, the shift away from the SEC power brokers to me was just striking. And, and, and this is also a year where you can't um, you can't cry if you're on the West Coast. For once, maybe we won't have to listen to, to, to all that. You know, I mean, it, the West Coast was very well represented. Uh, it had six teams in from the Pac-10, all six that deserved to be in. I don't think Oregon deserved to be in, although it, it got itself onto the bubble uh, by sweeping Oregon State. Um, you've got four hosts out there when really, you know, UCLA was a borderline host uh, that none of us really expected to host. You know, the West did well this year, and, and none of those Western regionals are, are faced against each other. So if I have to hear anybody complain about the funneling effect. Yeah, what uh, a joke. I'm sorry, but that's a, that is a joke. Yeah, I, it is I a can't joke. stand the funneling effect because, I, I, because the thing is I used to buy it because I heard it so much I used to buy it. But how about all the teams in the Southeast, the ACC and SEC teams that play each other all the time in Super Regional? Like Clemson and South Carolina aren't tired of each other. Like North Carolina and South Carolina didn't get tired of each other. Like Florida State is, didn't get, used to get tired of Auburn. I mean, it's a, it happens everywhere where it West Coast. I completely agree with you. Glad we don't have to hear about that. Uh, you put it very well. Um, I know I interrupted you a little bit there, Aaron, but we have several podcast questions podcast at baseballamerica.com let's take a couple of those bill up in montana one of our steadiest listeners guys with offense down this year is an extreme offensive team or extreme run prevention team more likely to surprise in a regional as a lower seed 
who profiles that way for each of us? I guess, Aaron, the first team that I would think of would be Creighton. Yeah. Um, Creighton is an extreme run prevention team. And I forget where the Blue Jays get sent. They're a two-seed, correct? They're at Corvallis, which is very interesting because I think they're constructed similarly to Oregon State. You know, I think those teams um, – I think uh, Oregon State is probably more of a, of a high-test version of Creighton. Um, but uh, those teams have similar styles for sure. That that would be – the team I would pick would be Creighton just because they're not going to beat themselves. Oregon State certainly uh, – well, let's just – obviously they don't have Darwin Barney anymore. That guy's in the big leagues. And uh, – I don't know if Carter Bell's the Canadian Darwin Barney or not. We'll really find out in this postseason <laughs> whether whether he has that little extra something, that little extra moxie that Darwin Barney brought to Oregon State. I think he may he was the factor. I, as good as that, their whole team was, I'm not trying to slight any of the other Beavers from 06, 07. To me, Darwin Barney was the difference. He was a difference maker. Um, he was the best 300, 350, 400 college player there ever was. Um and then uh, who, who's a team like that fits that template for you, Aaron, a extreme pitching or run prevention team that you think is going to do better than maybe uh, people might think? Well, Charlotte, you know, I mean, Charlotte is built that way. They've got a nice. great ERA. I mean, I, I don't see them going to Tempe and, and winning a regional against Arizona State and Arkansas, but, um, <laughs> you know, but that, that's, a, that's a tough, that's a tough assignment. But, you know, that's a team that, that's built that way. Maybe could could surprise you. Maybe they, you know, maybe they pull off an upset against Arkansas in that first round. I don't know. Uh, but uh, the other side of the coin, you know, one of those teams that's more of an offense team. Um, how about Central Florida going to Tallahassee? Kind of a high-powered offensive club uh, in an offensive park. Just something to think about. I mean, it, it, there's there are multiple ways, I believe, with these bats. There's no one winning formula, or at least I don't know it, because we've seen some teams this year that are built like Creighton with pitching and defense really do well with these bats, and we've seen some teams that are built like Central Florida. And and our you know power bats still and power arms that's that's their whole deal there. Um, so, Central Florida's a pretty interesting team. That's a good call, Fitzy. That's a really good call. I like that. That could be that that could get interesting. Um, a couple other calls on on our, our podcast uh, not calls. A couple of podcast questions via email. Well, Bill said the committee not peaking at uh, regional bid financials is a huge step forward for college baseball. Correct, and we obviously agree with that. Uh, David K. Lee uh, saying. Uh, is there any reason so he likes the philosophy of the change away from conference finish now being more important than RPI? Uh, did, was any reason given for the change of philosophy, and will this last? Sounds like Aaron. The reason was different composition of the committee, different committee members who valued committee fi- uh, co- conference finish more than RPI. Was that your takeaway? Yeah, I think so. I think that's it exactly, and I don't think it's necessarily going to be, uh, you know, in annual thing here. I don't know that this is going to be a long-term shift, but I, I also have to wonder if perhaps some of the negative backlash that uh, that the, the first Tim Weiser committee felt, um, if that played a role, because, you know, we all blasted those guys bad. If you look back to 2009, listen to that podcast, you'll know. And we weren't the only <laughs> ones. Yeah. You know, we, weren't, we weren't the only ones. And, 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 you know, Tim acknowledged that he knows what people were saying about him. Um, you know, I talked to him about it afterward and he, you know, he kind of shook his head and he, he took it well. I mean, give the guy credit. But, but I think he was, uh, he was receptive to that because last year's field was a lot better and a lot different. Uh, and this year's field, they've, they've really continued that shift away from uh, from teams that didn't do well in their conference but still had good RPIs. I, I just think that's a huge positive uh, for college baseball. Aaron, uh, Johnny Glenn, College World Series season ticket holder, asks, uh, what factors does the committee use in deciding where to put teams such as Creighton and Illinois? 
I guess the thing is, the first thing is geography. Uh, but the second part really seems to be, uh, you know, uh, they do have, they, they line up their 16 one seeds, then their 16 two seeds, then their 16 three seeds, and really kind of try to put that puzzle together. Were you surprised by any of the placements? It seemed, Aaron, that the placements this year, uh, there were some non traditional ones, and they, that uh, geography mm-hmm. did, just didn't, it was very difficult. I think they had a really tough time with all the hot conference hosts being five ACC hosts, a bunch in Texas, and, a, and then several in the West. Yeah, you're right. It's it, I think it's a much uh, more interesting, unusual field than usual. Um, you know, it, it's just you like you said, you've got some teams going places where maybe they don't usually go. Um, you know, nice to see East Carolina going to Charlottesville instead of back to Chapel Hill, for instance. Um, I had uh, expected the Pirates to be in Chapel Hill, and, and Florida International was a team I sent to Charlottesville. That ended up being reversed. I think that's good for a little bit of variety. Um, you know, I thought uh, looking at the Atlanta Regional, that one jumped out to me a little bit. You didn't have other in there. Instead, you had Austin P as your four seed. I thought for sure Austin P would be sent to Nashville. Um, geographically, that would make sense because I, I also thought Belmont could sneak a three seed. But instead, uh, they gave Belmont a four seed in Nashville. They sent Austin P to Atlanta, which pushed Georgia Southern up to uh, what Clemson, I think. Or yeah. no, Columbia, excuse me. Columbia, so, you're right. So, you know, you had some teams that were in different spots a little bit. Um, you know, instead of Georgia going to Georgia Tech, Georgia gets sent to uh, Corvallis. Um, and, and, you know, you, you've got Southern Mason, Mississippi State going to, to Atlanta. So, um, you know, I think it's uh, it, it makes for some new matchups. I think it's welcome. Um, you know, there's some some traditional ones as well. You know, you've, once again, you've got TCU in Oklahoma. Uh, that feels familiar. Um, you've got uh, Baylor and Rice. That feels familiar. You know, there, there are some, certainly some ones that you can't avoid. But um, on the whole, I like this feel. I really do. I agree with you. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Now, Aaron, I don't know if, enough, if we're going to have time to go crazy with our regional previews in the future, uh, the rest of this week. Are you going to have time for that? Am I yeah, going to have can... time? We can make that happen, I'm sure. Okay, well, we have to make that happen. That might have to be a nighttime podcast, but let's real quick just go over. We just we talked about some of the more interesting regionals. Which ones did you think were I – mean, we, I got this question on Twitter a lot. I'm sure you are, you have already. Which is the toughest regional for you? Uh, I thought that uh, – you know, I, like, I thought that it was almost like a consensus that Texas is regional is the easiest one. Did you agree with yeah. that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I thought Texas State was a soft number two seed, given their records against the top 25 and the top 50. Um, I thought they would be a three. You know, I had them as a bubble team going into the weekend. Um, Kent State as a three is, is, I mean, fine. They should be a three, but I don't think they're one of the stronger threes. Um, So, yeah, I think that's a fairly soft regional. If Kent State had had any success in regionals in recent years, I'd feel better about them. Like I said, they're they're three. They are where they deserve to be, but... They haven't really like made a lot of noise in regionals. Uh, yeah. I didn't. I didn't think there was a regional of de- uh, you know a uh, 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 you know a group of death anywhere on the uh, on the 64 team field. Right. I do think Clemson's regional is tough. I think those top three teams are stout. I thought Coastal would be a two. They get into the three. I, I understand why they're a three. I mean they could have been a two. They've certainly been hot. Uh, they won their conference regular season and tournament again. And they're an experienced club that won a regional last year. To me, that's a good regional with Clemson, UConn with their talent, and then Coastal Carolina. Which one stood out for you? And I had Coastal as a three. But to me, you know, I actually had UConn as a three also just because of the RPI. Uh, So, again, we've got the Big East getting more credit here, you know, while the SEC got less credit. But uh, I think that's that's also a testament to the fact that UConn is loaded. Um, And, and, you know, give the committee credit. They apparently uh, know – 
that UConn is loaded. Weiser even acknowledged it on the committee that he thinks it's a very good UConn team. So even though their, um, you know, their numbers, their uh, their records against the top 50 or 25 maybe aren't special, um, UConn gets the benefit of the doubt despite a great RP, uh, just an okay RPI. Right. Uh, but 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 I'm with you. I think that's a tough regional. I mean, because I think UConn is is a really talented, dangerous number two seed. Um, you know, we've got them what 15 or 17 in our top 25 right now. Yeah, 17 so or 18 somewhere in there. So we like UConn uh, and, and Coastal. But, you know, it helps Clemson probably that you're going to have to have a, a Barnes-Mayo showdown in that first game. Right. Clemson won't see either one of those guys in game two. Um, that sets up well for Clemson, I think. I agree. I thought Florida's regional is also pretty pretty strong. Miami certainly, uh, I think, of a different ACC season. And if Miami maybe, if, if the ACC did only have five hosts, <laughs> Miami had a case to host. Um, yeah, they won three out of four games against North Carolina. That's basically the best thing Miami did this year. Uh, but Miami is a two, and obviously Florida and Miami have some history. Jacksonville, I think, is a very solid three, and Manhattan is a four. That you know they've they've had they've made some noise in regionals. Obviously, Chris Cody's not walking through that door, and neither is your friend and mine, Nick Durba. But <laughs> <laughs> but Manhattan, yeah, that's a pretty steady MAAC program. They're they're a four C, but either a four C that if you don't play well, it's capable of winning a game. To me, this this regional is a place where the committee maybe missed an opportunity uh, for some diversity. You know, rather than have Florida and Miami play each other again, which it seems like they do all the time, um, I thought you know you had a lot of two seed options in Florida. Uh, I figured with with the Gators being a high national seed, the number two national seed, uh, I had uh, Stetson. I think Stetson, Stetson, yeah. or you know, and I thought maybe UCF could go there. I mean. I didn't think you'd get Miami as a fairly strong two seed, um, considering those teams have played each other all the time in the postseason. But um, so that was one one surprise. I mean, it's fine. I, I don't think you know. I don't think that's particularly unfair to either one of those teams. But uh, it's a little surprising considering you had other two options there. It seems like that was the problem for that was that you know if you sent them somewhere else, you can't send them to Florida State obviously because yeah. they're in the same league. If you send them say to South Carolina where Stetson was, then where do you do with NC State? Because NC State's the three seed, you can't have Miami right. and NC State. You might have had to like say say send NC State up to some other regional, maybe move St. John's as a three to South Carolina. It would have been a pretty big puzzle. It yeah. seems like that's why uh, Miami was there. But I, I agree with you; they did have an opportunity missed there as far as a uh, some some diversity. Yeah. Uh, was there another regional regional field that stands out to you, Aaron? Uh, you know, I, I, first of all, I will say that I really agree with your assessment that there is no one regional of death or whatever that seems like there has been every year. I think that's great. I mean, these are balanced regionals that are, uh, um, you know, not overly um, loaded. Or, or if, I mean, mostly I just think that they're strong. They're well constructed. Um, I think the Tempe regional, you know, as we, we touched on, I think Arizona State and, and Arkansas. That's a really strong one too. Um, New Mexico is obviously one of the, the weaker four seeds as a, as a 20 and 39 team. Uh, but uh, uh, boy, that's you know, I thought Arkansas would, would probably wind up elsewhere, UCLA or, or Corvallis, uh, one of those, you know, probably softer one seeds. I mean. I have to imagine Arizona State was not far from the national seed discussion. I'm surprised they got the two seed that I thought was probably the strongest two seed, the one that would been would have been my team number 17 to host. So that was a little bit of a surprise, but again, not not a huge deal. I agree, Aaron. Let's also uh, wrap up the podcast here real quick by talking a little bit about the the, the uh, tournaments that we both saw. I wasn't at the finals of the ACC tournament. You were at the SEC tournament. Um, you know, obviously the biggest story it seems like of the SEC tournament was Georgia spirited run for a team that's gone through a lot the last couple of years. 
And uh, with two players being paralyzed in the last two years, which is uh, more than you ever wish on anybody, but a spirited run by the Bulldogs to go three and two. They had to finish above 500 to get an at-large bid, and they just barely did it. And they did it in some style, beating some good teams like South Carolina and Florida. It was a Florida they beat once, right? That's right. They and, beat. Uh, go ahead. They beat South Carolina in the uh, the second elimination game. They were blown out by Vanderbilt in the first game. They looked terrible doing it. Uh, they looked disinterested, and it was it was embarrassing for them. Even Perno said so. Uh, and they responded from that by beating Auburn in, in a game where both teams were playing with urgency because the loser's season was over. Uh, and then they beat South Carolina. You know, a very good. South Carolina team, obviously, uh, and then they beat Florida. So I mean, that's that's a, an impressive run. I mean, Coach Perno said afterward, you know, he he uh, he wanted his team not to just be the sympathy team. He wanted them to be the team that people respected, and boy, they sure have that. It's hard. I mean, everyone roots for those guys because of, of what they've had to endure, but uh, it's hard not to respect them too. I mean, what a, what a resilient bunch. What a, what a lot of heart that team has. Yeah, and uh, and meanwhile, on the flip side, I'm not saying they're a heartless team, but uh, boy, a uh, tough break for Auburn, which uh, really I know that they went 0-2 in the NC- in the SEC tournament, and that sealed their fate. But really, what sealed Auburn's fate was not winning the series against Tennessee to finish the season. Yeah, um, almost feels like Auburn might not have gotten a bid, even though their RPI was pretty high, uh, with the lack of respect shown to. Uh, well, LSU didn't get any credit for three wins against Tennessee. What would what would Auburn have gotten if they had won? Maybe say they'd won that uh, Georgia game, but coming off of losing a series at Tennessee, would they have been left out of the field? I mean, you kind of got to wonder. It's a moot yeah. point. It's a moot point now. But I mean, Auburn they really uh, fouled the bed, as Jim Callis likes to say, by losing that series at Tennessee, right? Absolutely right, and and they really gave it away too. I mean, they were in position. I think they had a ninth inning lead. One of those games, at least. I mean, they, they really – it's the story of their season. I mean, it they is. just had a lot of missed opportunities, a lot of blown leads, a lot of close games that were winnable and that turned into losses. That's absolutely the story of their season is bullpen. The bullpen just uh, just did it, to, it did it into to, uh, you know, to Auburn all season. Um, Aaron, in the ACC tournament, any surprise to, to you from afar that uh, – you know, it, it, it came down to Florida State and Virginia again, kind of have that league has come down to all year. Yeah, you know, those two teams won their respective divisions, although Georgia Tech tied Virginia for their for the lead there, but um yeah, I mean, it, you know, those teams seem like they're they're just good tournament teams, whatever reason. Uh, you know, the last two was it last year they played each other too? I or? think it was two years ago. It was two years ago. Um, but uh, you know, no surprise. No, I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I, I think that uh, uh, I love what Mike Martin said about his team afterwards. <laughs> Did you see that quote in, in Teddy Cahill's blog from Mike Martin about uh, describing his team's character? He just said, you know, they're just so daggum tough. You know, they're <laughs> they're just they're just they they don't give you anything, and and that's what they are. I mean, they're just. They're they're men. That's what he said. You know, they're men. Nice. Um, And and that's what they are. They they play above their talent. They're really well coached and scrappy. And uh, not surprised that they they made that run. I mean, you only had to go two and one to reach the the championship game in that league uh, with a pool play format. That is a pretty whacked out format and a conference tournament that probably means less than any of the other conference tournaments from the big. Uh, conferences to me, I just cannot believe that that's still a format that exists. I'm, uh, ah, it is, it is what it is. Um, Aaron, uh, Bill Lamberty also asks at podcast at baseballamerica.com, are either of us stressed out, not to mention bummed out about the new stadium, uh, as he is? Um, they showed the new stadium on the 
64 team field selection show on ESPN. And Kyle Peterson said, oh, it's got all the amenities. It sure is nice. Um, I think we're both, uh, I don't know, there's some trepidation on going back to the College World Series without uh, the the stadium on the hill. I mean, we talked about it before that, but uh, it's going to be a different series. There's no doubt about it with the bats. It's a very clear demarcation. There was an era in college baseball from 1999 to 2010 that was an era of growth, offense, uh, you know, 64-team field, uh, upsets, you had teams from you know power conferences. The West had a nice run there. Then the SEC finishes it with back-to-back championships. And now 2011 going forward, we're in uncharted waters. We're in a completely new era of college baseball defined by the bats in the new ballpark, I, I feel. You nailed it, John. I love how you put that. I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, this is, a, this, is, this is a new world. And, and I don't know what is going to be the successful formula in the postseason um, because, you know, like I said, you you still got to be able to score runs. I mean, you you can, you know, you can have the best pitching staff in the world. I mean, Cole and Bauer are, are awesome. They might be two of the top three picks in the draft. Um, but uh, if you can't score runs for those guys, you know, UCLA has twenty two losses this year. I mean, yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. That is so. So you know, I I just think that uh, we don't know the answer. We don't know what's going to succeed. We don't know how the new ballpark's going to play. We suspect it's going to be more pitcher friendly, and, and especially with these bats the way they are. Uh, but uh, it's going to be fascinating. You really think about that. Um, UCLA has st- had 30 games this year started by Colin Bauer, and they only have 33 wins. <laughs> I mean, I don't know they didn't win every game those two guys started, but you would think coming into the year, if those two guys started 30 games, you would expect that team to win 25 of those. And they've got a, a potential freshman of the year candidate on Sundays with Adam Plutko. I mean, their pitching is, is really, really good. It is as good as it they, was advertised to be, Aaron. But you know, their, 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 their bats have come on down the stretch, and that's why they've, you know, they're number one seed hosting a regional. They won the Pac-10, they went to Arizona State, and they hit. So uh, give them credit for that. Who, who's been the key to that? We, I mean, obviously, they weren't in a conference tournament, Aaron. What bats have come on for UCLA? Because last year, uh, you know, they relied a lot on Gallego. And then uh, who was the second baseman who got hurt? Ramatula? Tyler Ramatula, yeah. And he hasn't been a factor this year. Wasn't he, uh, isn't he suspended? Or there's something going on with Tyler Ramatula that I keep forgetting. Academically ineligible. That's it. Um, and, uh, you know, they missed him. They think he was, uh, he was their three-hole hitter for most of the year last year. But, um, you know, that, that was a blow, certainly. Dean Espy has come on strong. You know, he's kind of the, the, the most dangerous guy in that lineup. I guess Cody Regis as well. But uh, it's, not a, it's not an intimidating lineup. But, uh, you know, it's better than it was earlier in the year. I mean, they're, they're hitting 264 as a team. They have 16 homers. I mean, it's not scary. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they gotta, <laughs> yeah. they, they've got to execute. That's all. I just think you, you, you look at their stats and you see that, that uh, Garrett Cole – among the pitchers on their team who've thrown more than 18 innings has the worst ERA on that team. I mean, it's, it's just, it is amazing. And uh, last thing, Aaron, we're getting ready for the postseason. It's awards time. Uh, let's talk about some of our finalists. We don't have official finalists here, but player of the year, freshman of the year, coach of the year. Obviously, teams that make big postseason runs are going to factor into our coach of the year discussion. But player of the year, Aaron, it's the year of the pitcher. I think it's appropriate that it seems that the two best cases for pitcher for player of the year are Trevor Bauer of UCLA and Taylor Youngman of Texas, whose numbers are just uh, otherworldly. It depends, you know, how much you like the strikeouts. First of all, I mean, Bauer's case, he's a lot more strikeouts than Youngman. Um, he's got eight consecutive complete games, which is nice. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, his his ERA is not far off from Youngman. He's twelve and two. 
But Youngman does, you know, he's Youngman's 13 and 0. He leads the nation in both wins and ERA. He's got uh, an ERA below one, um, which is nice. Unbelievable. Also. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, and, and he's also Taylor Youngman is the number one pitcher for um, an elite team, whereas UCLA hasn't really played at that level. So I think that that matters as well. But I mean, it's it's tough. Uh, I think Bauer has been more tra- uh, traditionally dominant. I mean, he's got 189 strikeouts. Uh, that's amazing. But uh, but Youngman has been just as dominant in his own way with his efficiency, and uh, you know he he doesn't have the strikeouts. He doesn't need to strike people out to win. Um, so I think it's a great race, and I think C.J. Crone would be my third guy in the mix if you want a hitter. Uh, he's had an amazing season for Utah, but it looks like that season is now over. That is amazing that uh, he's had the kind of year that he's had, and, and Utah played a good schedule. I mean, for yes. a Mountain West team, UCLA played a – I mean, Utah played a very challenging schedule. And, of course, Utah going to the Pac-10, but uh, played a Mountain West schedule this year. But they really kind of ramped up, it felt like, for going into uh, the Pac-10 with that schedule. Freshman of the year, and you mentioned Adam Plutko, uh, Colin Moran, just having seen him up close and personal for North Carolina, what he means. Uh, he, I, I think if we had a most valuable freshman, Colin Moran would be on that short list for sure. Who are some of the other freshmen who are in that mix for freshman of the year nationally? Yeah, Moran might be the front runner, but uh, it's close. I think that one's pretty wide open. Um, Carson Whitson at Florida, I think, has got to be in the mix. Um, Tony Kemp and Vanderbilt was the SEC freshman of the year. He really makes that team go. Um, Chris Bryant at San Diego has had a huge year, kind of under the radar because their team hasn't been very good. But um, he's he's uh, lived up to uh, to the hype that, that that accompanied him down to USD. Uh, so you know those are some of the names that I guess that that jump out to me for for the freshman of the year conversation. And our coach of the year, um, you know, South Carolina and Virginia were not. Oh, well, South Carolina was seven. Ray Tanner's our reigning coach of the year. It'd be hard to see a guy getting back to back awards when there are other real worthy candidates, but I think we both think that Ray Tanner has done a pretty amazing job this year. Yeah. Virginia Virginia has lost nine times all year. They weren't even in our preseason top ten. Um, I think Virginia's season certainly seems like it puts uh, you know Brian O'Connor on that short list. And uh, you know who else who else in your mind is in that mix for national coach of the year? Well I think you hit the 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 guys that come to mind first, I mean, I think O'Connor and Tanner, uh, and like you said, it's probably, let's face it, it's probably not going to be Tanner just because we, we don't usually do that back-to-back years. But uh, his, his coaching job has been amazing, certainly deserving for me of the uh, SEC Coach of the Year. Um, you know, I, I think that Mike Martin is a guy that has never won our award um, that probably needs to factor into the mix because, he, you know, this team is – it takes after him. You know, I, I just think that uh, um, it's not – an overly talented team, but they win a lot of games and they're a national seed. I think that's pretty impressive. It's a team um, with it's a team with three pitchers they trust, Aaron. I mean, yeah. Sean Gilmartin, uh, Daniel Bennett out of the bullpen, and Mike McGee in whichever role they use him in, and that's it. Everybody else out there is a giant dice roll. Right. Uh, that 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 to me, and then they have, you know, offensively, uh, there's no Buster Posey or Tyler Holt carrying this offense. It's a good offense. But it's not even a vintage Florida State offense. It doesn't feel like it anyway. No, you're right. I mean, it's it's uh, uh, it's I just think that that's a great coaching job. I mean, that team has played above itself a little bit, and that's what it does almost every year. That's why Florida State is so consistent. And the other 
name I'll throw out there is Pat Casey. You know, they, they stumbled down the stretch. Uh, and you can throw Tim Esme in the mix as well because Arizona State has had to go through a lot you know, to be where they are. No doubt. Uh, they, they've had some serious distractions and tragedy with the Corey Hahn situation, of course. Um, but both those two guys, despite the way they finished uh, the last two weeks, I think those guys are in the mix as well. I agree. And uh, the best thing about it is that for us, uh, these awards don't come out until Omaha. So we've got another weekend to evaluate. And what happens in the postseason? Two weeks, I should say. And what happens in the postseason matters. And uh, you're not going to have, you know, somebody lifting up our National Player of the Year trophy um, like Dirk Nowitzki a couple years ago in the NBA and uh, their team goes home in the first round of the postseason. I mean, that could happen. That could happen with some of these, obviously, freshmen or player of the year or C.J. Crone, like you said, whose season's already over. But we've got, I think, more time to evaluate. And what happens in the postseason does matter and it should matter. So uh, I like the fact that we wait on our awards as opposed to sending out a third-team All-America team that has 60 guys on it and make sure you get it out by regionals. So, right, exactly. Uh, always prefer that. Aaron, uh, the other best part, I guess, of UCLA being a regional host is that you'll be there. So uh, what are your postseason plans uh, the first uh, weekend or two? Yeah, I'm going to juggle back and forth, I guess, between UCLA and, and Fullerton, both of which are you know, easily drivable for me. And, and uh, it's nice to have that variety. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, the UCLA regional with with Fresno and Irvine and San Francisco, it's it's pretty solid, you know. I mean, it's not overly compelling, but it's you know it's fairly compelling. Certainly Fullerton and Stanford, I mean, um, you know that's always fun. It's a great rivalry. Those teams have gone head to head quite a few times in in the postseason, and uh, I think Stanford's a very exciting young team. Uh, and then you've got Kansas State and Illinois is kind of the um, colder weather um, grinder kind of programs. You know that uh, they don't have the talent of Fullerton and Stanford, but they play hard. And this is Kansas State's third straight regional. That is amazing to me. They've never been to a regional in the history of the program, and then they've now gone to three straight. Um, Brad Hill and that coaching staff, just a tremendous job. And, and same for Dan Hartlib at, at Illinois. You know, a program that has flown under the radar, a, a team that has flown under the radar all season. Um, you know, I, yeah, they were didn't... never in our Big Big Twelve. We didn't seem like they were in our Big Ten discussions all year. We talked about. Michigan State, they had a really nice season. We talked about, oh, don't forget Minnesota. Um, yeah. You know, but it didn't seem like Illinois was really in the consciousness, at least for me, they weren't. E- even Purdue, Indiana, right. Penn State. I mean, all those teams I even talked about more than Illinois. That, Illinois snuck up on, on me, at least, I'll admit it. Uh, and, and uh, you know, they've got some athleticism, they've got some veterans, uh, and they're well coached. I, that should be an interesting team to look at. Really, what I know about that team is Willie Argo. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. their number one starter from a couple of years ago, Phil Haig, who won a game at LSU. He's now in the weekend rotation for Florida International. He's a transfer. Yeah. So that's a, guy that, that's a guy they might have been counting on, although he might be a fifth-year senior by now. But, I mean, uh, Illinois doesn't always get the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, it would be a nice year. You could maybe look at 2011 as a significant year for Illinois if they – not only obviously they're going to regionals, but what if they hold on to Charlie Tilson in the draft? a guy who's a possible first-round, second-round talent. Uh, what if he ends up going to school? Uh, it could be a big year for Illinois. And and how about this? What if uh, you know? What if they're the dark horse and they steal Serrano away from Fullerton? You know, They did it <laughs> once before to the Titans. Come on. Yeah, I'm not feeling that one. Uh, you open that up. I'm going to keep on talking college baseball. I'm just – the tournament, we were going to break down all the regionals in a podcast later this week. But, I mean, the, we were so nonplussed by the tournament field in a way. I mean, not nonplussed. We were just – there weren't any shocks. We talked about the surprises already. I'm going to ask you about a couple coaching stuff uh, here, Aaron. Uh, Tennis, you don't have to dish rumors, but I mean, you mentioned Brad Hill at Kansas State. Why would a Tennessee 
or uh, well, you see, Santa Barbara's not a huge job that's open. That's open. Uh, why would a team in a BCS league that's hiring a coach not look at Brad Hill at Kansas State? He to me is the under the radar best candidate to hire. If I'm Tennessee and I'm not bringing in Brad Hill, I'm doing a disservice, aren't you? Because that guy's track record, national championship at the Division Two level, and he's taken Kansas State. He's gone where no one has gone before. He does an amazing job. He really does. And, uh, you know, it, I, I have to imagine that uh, Nebraska would love to get him. I'm not sure that he would leave for Nebraska. Now I don't that know they're, why. Why did I forget Nebraska? Yeah, great point. Now that they're they're in the Big Ten, I mean, I don't know why, uh, if you're Brad Hill, why do you leave the Big 12 for the Big Ten? I'll give you uh, 330,000 reasons. There you go. That's the answer. <laughs> that, that's, that's the answer. But, I mean, uh, Nebraska, there's a lot of speculation about Nebraska. I thought it was fascinating, Aaron, that – you posted, I thought, really reasonable names for the Nebraska job, and the Nebraska fan reactions seemed to be, "That's it. That's the best we can do." Um, I thought that, like, you know, throwing out some of the names you did, like coaches at Illinois State and Kent State, or Southern Illinois, I should say, uh, Mark Kingston. He's at, oh wait, no, he's no, at Illinois State. State. I was You're right the first time. Uh, Scott Strickland, you know, guys who are successful coaches at mid majors. I thought that was very reasonable for a Big Ten job. And uh, boy, the Nebraska fans didn't seem to want to hear that. Yeah, they. Uh, you know, Nebraska's a program that's been to Omaha in the last decade, three times, uh, three or multiple four times. times. So yeah, they, they, you know, they obviously have high expectations for their program. And um, you know, if I'm Nebraska, I'm very happy with uh, with Brad Hill for sure, or Scott Strickland, or Mark Kingston, or you know, even Rob Fornis here, like I threw out there. I and love that all, idea. You know, but. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what direction they're going to go. That one should be interesting to watch. The Brad Hill idea just makes even more sense. And I'm sorry we're speculating with Brad Hill's career in life here. But, um, I mean, Central Missouri was a pretty good spot for Nebraska last time when they went and hired uh, Dave Van Horn from there. That worked yeah, out. That's a great point. That worked out well for them, and Brad Hill succeeded Dave Van Horn. Um, but that would be pretty good. Uh, if you ask me what Brad Hill's done at Kansas State, is he's a miracle worker. So he can, he can get back on his mule and ride it back up there. We'll see. Outstanding mule riders reference of the day. Aaron, uh, I believe I will be over in Chapel Hill because I still have two kids and I'm still coaching T-ball. So I doubt that I'll be uh, going on the road. But we do expect to send uh, a BA staffer, most likely Jimmer Schonard, uh, down to Columbia. They'll, they'll roll out the Garnet carpet for uh, Jimmer down there in uh, Columbia. So we'll have all kinds of regional coverage. Our regional podcast will come up later this week. Uh, fun podcast, Aaron. A lot less outrage this year, this year than uh, two years ago. I almost missed the outrage days. Yeah, you know, and that's a that's a credit to this committee. Like I said, I think they've grown. Um, I, I I like Tim Weiser personally, and, and I think he's done a much better job these last two years as, as the committee chairman. Um, he's grown into it. He's grown into a very uh, solid uh, chairman. I agree, and uh, just, this, this is a fun time of year. Love it. And uh, love, love talking draft, love talking 64-team field. We'll do it again later this week. We'll break down all 16 four-team regionals on an upcoming podcast spectacular here at BaseballAmerica.com. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.